Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our daily lives. We always have the help of a great new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and together we interview a guest about their work in design. Because design is everywhere. So are we. This week, we're talking about the care system and how design is changing the way that we care for each other. When you think of the care system, you might not think that design can have such an integral part in making it better, faster, and more efficient. Joining us today as guest co-host is Patrice Martin. Patrice is the co-founder and CEO of The Holding Co., a lab that aims to redesign how we take care of each other. And our special guest is Lindsay Juris Rossner, the CEO of Wealthy, a caregiving concierge service for families with complex, chronic and ongoing care needs. But before we dive in, some news from the Design Museum. We've created a multi-session training designed to accompany our We Design exhibition and educate everyone on diversity, equity, inclusion. These engaging conversations are led by Design Museum Everywhere's very own Director of Learning and Interpretation, Diana Navarrete-Rakakis. I have learned a ton from Diana over the years. Over the course of these three months, you will participate in two half-day sessions where you will learn why diversity, equity, and inclusion create better design outcomes, build diverse teams, and discuss how to give back to communities. So there are two sessions. The winter session is February 26th and May 14th, and the spring session is April 2nd and June 18th. For more information, check out designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on events. And with that, onto this week's topic, the care system. Each one of us has been brought up by a certain level of care. And as we grow older, we may care for others or even need care ourselves. But what is that system of care? And who's to say that system we have in place even works? I'm excited to chat with our guest co-host this week. I'm joined by Patrice Martin, CEO and co-founder of The Holding Co. At The Holding Co., Patrice leads the work of innovative companies and design teams who redesign care in the 21st century. She also co-founded IDEO.org, a nonprofit design organization launched from IDEO in 2011. There, she pioneered design thinking in the social sector. In 2016, Patrice was awarded the Impact Design 40 Under 40 for her work in designing for social good. Patrice uses design to create time, space, and joy for families. Patrice, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I can't think of a better way to use design than to create time, space, and joy. I mean, that's... (laughs) What else do we need? Exactly. Honestly, I've been looking forward to this conversation so much. It's like, design is everywhere. Care is everywhere. This is it. It's it's, match made in heaven. Exactly. I love it. So let's start for our listeners by kind of like building that base of understanding. So how do you define care? So care is all the work that we do to make sure our loved ones can thrive. Care is caring for kids. It's caring for the aging. But it's also the work of family life. Um, It's managing household. It's cleaning, it's errands, it's running to the grocery store, it's making sure grandma takes her medication. It's often work that we just assume will somehow get done. 
Uh, it's typically unpaid labor or very right. underpaid labor. And it's work that, you know, with coronavirus, we've seen that we cannot take this work for granted anymore. Um, it's actually so critical to our society and our economy, but it's one that we're just kind of in the background used to it just somehow happening. And it's disproportionately carried by women. Uh, and we're really out to fix that. Yes, absolutely. This is sort of the like, you hear someone say, oh, she can't work because she's caring for the kids or caring for a loved one. And you're like, that is work, right? Absolutely. And it's also work that we just think people should take care of on their own. Right. It's work that we pretty much tend to like try to figure out as an individual juggle in the background, like each family, like how are we going to deal with kids? How are we going to deal with our aging parents and relatives? And actually, if we got out of that frame of just thinking about this as an individual problem that each of us is trying to struggle to figure out and put it more in a collective context, you know, there's actually so much opportunity for how we could reshape this if we mm. as a society thought of it as something that we should be designing for. Oh, I love that. I love that. So that's, you, you touched on some, some of these, but can you share some of the like inherent flaws in the care system? And maybe we can even touch on like how design can help address some of these flaws. Yeah. If you think about what solutions are out there for care, like it's pretty much similar to what we had in the 1970s, you know, it's daycare facilities, it's in, you know, it's aging facilities. It's the same, it's the same set of stuff that sort of helps, but you know, at this, we've had a massive change in the way in which like consumers show up in the world and which technology has evolved society, but it hasn't really hit care. And actually there's so much that we could do to, for care to kind of come into the 21st century. And there are a lot of exciting like innovators and entrepreneurs who are out there trying to crack this. Um, and our work at The Holding Co. is to essentially partner with those innovators and make sure that we get better solutions into the hands of families and kind of take care out of this space. It's like we're just dealing with the same stuff we've already always had to what can we do to actually be in a position where families can thrive and have the space, yeah. time and joy and convenience, convenience and accessibility that we all deserve. Yeah, it's all so connected, right? It is a system. And I, I think my my kids are just starting. They're not in school yet, but it's this, the classic like, you know, school ends at what, 2.30 or 3, but the workday <laughs> continues. And so like all these little like mismatches and right when you do, when you, I'm thinking when you look at it as these siloed things, you create a lot of flaws, but it sounds like you're trying to look at it from a fully holistic yeah. experience. Yeah. After school, you know, those hours between three to six are such a trap for so many it's like, what do you, families. What do you do? What do you do? Summer is another huge one. And, mm -hmm. and actually, like so many of our systems are based on this outdated notion, if ever true notion, that someone's at home, you know, that somebody will be there to pick up all the slack, who can take care of the kids, who if somebody in our, in our family has a health crisis and needs to heal at home and needs to you know, have all that attention and care, that there, that there is some place and of somebody who will do that work. And that's just largely not true. Before we dive into the holding co, I wonder if you could share, if you're up for it, so your personal journey into the care system and when did these issues start to like become very apparent to you? I would love to. So 
I'm a longtime IDOer. I then had the privilege to spin out IDEO.org and um, I started that organization, you know, with my co-founder before I was married, before I had kids, then did that for <laughs> seven years, you know, so proud of where IDEO.org is today. And there's seven, mm-hmm. I mean, with over those seven years, but along the way, I, I had two kids myself. My parents moved to the West Coast. I live in San Francisco and I was just dealing with the realities of leading an organization and what it means to like work and have caregiving and all the stuff and, mm-hmm. and really not thinking about it that much. I actually ended up leaving IDEO.org because I needed to do work that was less international focused for me with two kids at home. And when I did that, I had the chance to collaborate with Pivotal Ventures, the investment and incubation company by Melinda Gates, as they were starting to think about their caregiving strategy. And that was a big aha moment for me as you know, their, their organization looked looks at how do you accelerate women's power and influence in the U.S. And they see caregiving as a central piece of that. And when care, you know, as we've said, like disproportionately carried by women, when it's not a true choice is a barrier to women's participation in society. And that just got me so lit up. You know, I was mm-hmm. living it. You probably were like, there it is. Like, <laughs> I'm living it. Exactly. And I, I know so many people are living it. And it just a, it's a part of all of our everyday lives. And then with Pivotal, I had the chance to lead a piece of work in collaboration with IDEO to look at the state of care in the U.S. And this um, was an opportunity to just go out and talk to a lot of different families. Like there's data around caregiving, but not as much information from like a design perspective around like, what what does it actually feel like inside of a home? What are families dealing with? And when they think about this modern blur of work and life, um, and that was incredibly eye-opening. And to see that families just don't have the solutions that they need. And this was pre-COVID. You know, this was before this care crisis that we're in now. And then we also got to look at the care space from the perspective of innovators and see that there's so much that can be done. Like this is a really, really rich space and how much opportunity there is. And it was fascinating being a designer to see the role that design could play in making sure that we're getting more solutions into the hands of families as this is actually like, it's the most human stuff. You know, this is this is love, this is trust, this is guilt, this is identity. These are actually pretty sophisticated designs challenges. And so when we think about creating the space for more products, brands, services, solutions to get into hands of families, they need to actually address those things. And we set out to say, hey, there's a there's a big role for design to support making sure that families have what they need. Yeah, let's get into the holding co and just how does it work? You talked a little about the goals, but I'd love to hear it, the mission and then sort of how you operate. So the Holding Co. is a lab to redesign care for the 21st century. And that's essentially how do we get better solutions into the hands of families and all families. We work with startups, but we also work with nonprofits, corporations, government agencies to get better 
solutions into the hands of families. Um, so we have a model where we have formed an amazing team of designers passionate about caregiving, and we can really get in, roll up our sleeves and build alongside innovators. So you partner those, you bring those designers like as a team to kind of support the venture team? Exactly. Yeah. So we set up a year long relationship so we can really do it from the partnership frame. It's anchored in multiple weeks of design sprints that our or the organization we partner with can choose to apply to the most critical challenge. It's typically around you know, product or brand, but it, it can be anything. And we work really nimbly to integrate with their team and just get them on as strong a trajectory as we can. Then we also um, put a lot of effort and attention around how do we just bring more people into the opportunity in care at the highest frame and to see care from the broad definition of care, not just childcare, not just aging facilities, but all the work that we do to take care of our loved ones. And that was really the impetus behind creating the Care 100, which is a list we rolled out earlier this fall to essentially celebrate all of the amazing people who are building and shaping the care of our future uh, and really wanted to create that opportunity to recognize and celebrate and get those people to see each other and say, this is the care that when we say, how do we re rebuild this? How do we create the care system we all deserve. These are the folks who are at the front of the front of the, you know, front of the fight. Yeah, I love the Care 100. I was I was going through it and I think it's just so smart because as we're talking about the the siloed nature of, you know, the care system as it is and then folks who are trying to innovate on it probably also feel somewhat siloed and to kind of bring them all together, uh, I thought was really smart. And again, it's it's about people. It's people helping people. Could you share some of these solutions, maybe some examples directly from the Care 100 list? I'll start with one a really compelling organization out of Florida. They're called PAPA. And what they do is actually connect young people to older individuals to just sp spend time with them in their house. You can They can do odd jobs, but like the majority of it is really just hanging out. And they've tapped into the sharing economy by creating a way for you know, young people to make a extra, little bit of extra money and older folks who may be struggling with isolation or don't have as much con connection and community that they could have now suddenly have someone to play cards with a couple of times a week. And they've done a really great job too in COVID from moving from in-home uh, visits to actually being able to pivot to virtual connection, which is really great. Another is, um, so Tolu Lawrence of Promundo. Promundo is a fabulous organization that really looks at how do you bring more men into caregiving, celebrating the men who are parents, who are caregivers, and really shifting the narrative on men and care. And they've partnered with Unilever, Dove's Men in Care program, and do quite a lot of work together to actually create uh, a model for how to get more companies to have men take paternal leave. Yeah, I love that. Oh, so important. I know also my friends over at Fatherly are in the care. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's like we, we care is get out of this outdated notion of like what care looks like, who should be doing it. It's like, 
share the love, share the power, and let's uh, let's all like move society forward. Oh, the impact I'm sure is huge, and it's what better, like we said, what better place to apply design to these human, very human problems. I I, I love it. Thank you so much, Patrice. This is it's great to to learn more about this. Yeah, thank you. Listeners, if you'd like to learn more about The Holding Co., you can visit theholding.co. And Patrice, please stick around. We're going to bring Lindsay Juris-Rossner into the conversation. If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's a museum that comes to you wherever you are. That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone. Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. Everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have. Membership starts at just $3 a month and you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today, and your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine, which will be sent to Design Museum members all over the world. That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. We're back and we're joined by our special guest, Lindsay Juris-Rossner. Lindsay is the CEO of Wealthy, a caregiving concierge service for families with complex, chronic, and ongoing care needs. Lindsay began Wealthy with an understanding that many families have to take on caregiving roles to care for a family member and the resources to do so may not be available. She worked a full-time job at Microsoft while caring for her mother. Now, Lindsay uses her experience to design a way for caregiving to be seamless. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, so glad to have you. I want to learn more about Wealthy. So can you tell us the mission? What are the goals? I want to hear all about it. Sure, happy to. Yeah, so I always have to, by the way, spell Wealthy. Um, yes, Because thank it's you. <laughs> not super obvious. So Wealthy is spelled W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. And yeah, the mission of Wealthy is that we've set out to create a better healthcare experience for families with complex, chronic, and ongoing care needs. Um, and yeah, the the sort of nugget of insight to your point was um, it, it was based on a personal story. So what I experienced in my personal life uh, while taking care of my mom, which is just that it's way too darn difficult for families to manage and navigate care in the U.S. today and families undergo tremendous stress and cost and frustrations and impact it impacts their own personal well-being and care and we we thought there must be a better way um, and so uh, really set out to kind of understand and learn and listen and and hopefully change lives in the process yeah. Can you share some of those pain points if you're up for it in terms of your experience? It seems like that was so crucial in creating this. Yeah. So my experience in getting involved in my mom's care is that my mom got diagnosed with primary progressive multiple sclerosis when I was nine, MS. And so as a kid, it was really just helping out around the house. My mom started to uh, lose some of her mobility. Um, so she started to walk with a cane and then a walker. Um, and then was in a wheelchair and then a, a um, sort of a scooter. Uh, and through that process as a kid, you know, it was just um, helping 
helping with preparing dinner and helping my mom with some basic um, activities. But then after college, I moved home uh, to live at home because my mom just needed more help. Um, she, We lived in a house that was no longer easy for her to just get around. She couldn't get up and down the stairs easily. Um, she, she struggled to kind of get to and from the bathroom, you know, walking just was just harder and harder for her, uh, with, she had, she had continuing declining mobility. And so I moved home and spent my early twenties living at home and I would get mom up in the morning and help her get dressed and help her on and off the toilet. And, and then I would go into the office and then I would come home to help her with lunch and then go back into the office and I would help her in the evenings and helping her, um, was physical work. I was physically lifting, um, you know, a hundred pound woman and careful to, you know, make sure I wasn't hurting her in the process and, and also trying to maintain some levity and, and make sure she was maintaining her dignity all while washing her and, and wiping her. I mean, um, and, and really started in my twenties to feel a sense of, uh, exhaustion, mental and physical exhaustion from, from helping my mom. And and I was her, I was her partner. We would go to doctor's appointments together and, um, and collaborate on what her treatment plans. And if there was an experimental treatment, we wanted to try to gain access to. Um, and then later in my twenties, I, I, I had a job opportunity and I was frankly ready to just I needed my own life. I felt like I didn't have my own life living with my mom, and so um, had the tough decision. Had the tough discussion with my mom about moving out, and um, and then set up some support and infrastructure. So we went about trying to make sure her the home was safe for her. Um, set up stair glides and railings in the bathrooms, and dealt with carpets and rugs around the house, and then hired and fired in home aides, trying to find the right person to help. Over the subsequent years, we went through hospitalizations and surgeries and special treatments. And then the last year and a half of her life, um, she was really confined to the bed um, and on hospice. And then she passed away about three years ago. So it was this long kind of three-decade journey of going through all these sort of twists and turns and being by her side. And yeah, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, easily. And took over every aspect of my life. Listen, I'm 40 and I'm newly married with a new baby. You know, I, I couldn't focus on my own life while being there for my mom. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, it, and so this, this is so complex, right? You got to be an expert in so many different things. It's, it's impossible. And you're just trying to keep your head above water and keeping this other person comfortable. And Could you share how that experience shaped what you built with Wealthy? It's shaped every aspect for sure. I'll share a couple of insights. One of the things I felt throughout my caregiving journey was unvalued by the healthcare system. You know, I would be in hospital settings and, you know, asking for the nurse because mom needs more water and is is mom going to get her food, her dinner? You know, she's getting tired. I think we want to get bedtime. You know, I was I was that daughter and I watched the nurses and doctors just kind of roll their eyes and be frustrated that they had to deal with me. And I felt and, – and then through, you know, later years, I I was the one who was keeping my mom out of the hospital and, and probably saving the health insurance company money. And yet nobody in the healthcare system recognized my role ever. And so the first thing that I was so passionate about with Building Wealthy was wanting to make sure caregivers – 
we're seen, we're loved, we're respected. I get I get frustrated when I hear people in the healthcare system talk about adherence and non-compliance and these terms that basically put uh, families into this position of being kind of these um, just it, these other you know that are participating yeah, like in the a healthcare journey. Just, yeah, yeah, and and when you think about it, the whole healthcare system is set up to make people feel unempowered or just disempowered. You know, the fact that we call people patients, we're expecting people to be patient and sit in a waiting room. You're to be patient and you're to wait until we're ready. You know, it, it does make the whole experience of being sick and being in pain that much more uncomfortable when you're not really uh, loved and respected throughout and, and for the individual who's going through it. And then for the family, it's as, it's as difficult to watch your loved one I, I think it's even harder to watch your loved ones struggle than to actually, you know, humans are remarkably adapt adaptable. So my mom adapted incredibly as she lost mobility in her legs and then lost mobility in her arms. It was harder for me. It was like, tra you know, traumatizing to watch this woman I loved so much lose um, basic, you know, functioning ability. And yet for her, she just went on with a smile and learned to do things in new ways. Um, so the thing that we focused on at Wealthy was making sure we were supporting caregivers, supporting family members, and making them feel valued and heard. And 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 even today, we say things to families like, "You're an incredible daughter. You're an incredible son. Your 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 wife is so lucky, you know, to have you and your support." And nobody else says that stuff in yeah. the healthcare system. So that's that the was, definition of a thankless job, right? And so even thanking yeah. is, must go a really long way. Yeah. And then the other thing we focused on is just the getting stuff done for families. What I recognized as my biggest challenge in being involved in my mom's care was just the administrative and logistical parts of care, the figuring out what insurance was going to cover and finding a specialist to deal with mom's new symptom that just popped up and, you know, finding that right fit in home aid to help mom when I, when I was at work, all that stuff that to your point, Sam, nobody prepares you for, nobody teaches you how to do, and you're sort of left kind of Googling and navigating on your own. And these are very personal and very intimate, you know, decisions. And really, there's no support infrastructure in the U.S. today that helps families navigate these really important decisions. So um, so that was the other thing with Wealthy that we focused on is wanting to um, guide and 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 provide support to families through um making these decisions, providing the expertise, the advocacy, and then also doing the doing the work, you know, finding the right solution or provider. I love that. That's like sort of the concierge model that mm -hmm. you talk about. Can you talk about like how, how that actually works, like how a family actually sort of like accesses that? Yeah, sure. So we have a team. So we I set out in the early days of Wealthy to identify individuals in in our society today who are doing this work to support families and started spending more and more time with social workers and really felt strongly that social workers were the right fit um, profession or individuals had the right skill set uh, to help families with this kind of manage you know managing and navigating piece of their care and so we have a team mo of mostly social workers although some have other backgrounds and they're distributed across the country. And we essentially match a family up with a dedicated care coordinator. Um, and actually, the care coordinator has a whole team behind them. So the family's really getting a, a whole team. And that team really partners up with the family 
and becomes the family's personal health care project manager. So almost the same way you might work with a financial advisor. So we get to know the family's goals, their situation, and their needs. And then we set up a plan and we go about getting things done. And so we'll help the family hire and vet and reference check and background check that right fit in-home aid. We'll help the family uh, manage a move into a long-term care facility. We'll find providers, schedule appointments, arrange transportation, refill prescriptions, contest and negotiate insurance bills, and navigate to the right insurance option, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits, or activating a long-term care insurance policy. Um, so it's really a range of different types of support. Have you seen that shift, Lindsay, in customers' expectations around or understanding of what Wealthy can do or even an offer like Wealthy can do for them? It's a great point, Patrice. We have seen it shift in a really, in a really wonderful way. And part of it's really a big part due to partnering with you and the holding co. We you know, we struggled. It, it, part of the problem was that we were we were inventing this new category in some ways. And so we would have to explain to people sort of the problem that we were solving and then the solution set overall. You know, we are a caregiving concierge. People are like, what? what's that mean? And then how wealthy specifically works. And that's a lot to explain, you know, a lot of education. And so we really struggled with it, how to kind of tighten up that messaging and make people say, oh, I get it. The biggest thing we heard from families pretty continuously in the early days was, here's my situation. Can you help my family? My family is really unique. We're going through this really difficult thing. Can you help my family? And so in working really, um, in working through it with the Holding Co., one of the things we started to do is crystallize the messaging, but then also get really specific and tactical about how we help, um, which is which has certainly shifted. Now people come to us and say, okay, I need help with this, this, and this. And it's less of, can you help? Hmm. Can you both share? Because I'm like, okay, so how did design and the holding co, like how did that relationship come about? And like, what? how did it work? And what was the outcome? I, mean, I can start. Uh... I, what Lindsay framed up, it's like we see that across care. It's like we care is is just a problem so many of us are struggling with, but we don't even we don't even see it. We're so used to the status quo. It's like we we really need change in this space, but we haven't been shown a future around how it can be different. And at at the meta level, that's the role we see design playing. Like let's actually like we can't talk about it to people. It's hard to it's hard to grasp like, oh, what will this actually, how could this be different? But but if we build it, then we can step into it. Like Lindsay's customers and families, it's like, oh my gosh, like, yes, I could have help navigating the healthcare system. I could get support in paying these bills. I could get help getting an in-home aid into my home or into my parents' home. And I never even thought or knew or had the expectation that that could shift. And so, so much of our early collaboration was just about how do we bring that language to caregiving? It's like the fact that we don't even care doesn't even have the right language is indicative of care itself. You know, like we're all caregivers yet. If somebody was like, are you a caregiver? It might be like, actually, I don't don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm a, I'm a daughter, but am I a caregiver? It's like, 
Absolutely, 100%. So how do we help people kind of recognize the that there's opportunities for things to change and then step them into that? And that's such a powerful role design can play. And I'll add to that, Patrice. I think you said it perfectly. One of the things we observed when we first started working on Wealthy was just how bad design was in healthcare. I said to my team, we're never going to have a picture of a woman with white hair, you know, holding the hand of a younger woman walking like outside, you know, like all those terrible cliched imagery that we see in, in healthcare. And, um, and what we wanted for Wealthy was to feel like a modern consumer brand. And we thought that was important because part of the problem with caregiving is it lives in the shadows, to Patrice's point. People don't recognize themselves as caregivers. We don't talk about it in society. It's not celebrated. And so people who are caregiving are caregiving as this kind of secret double life. And part of it is there's nothing kind of warm and beautiful and embracing to kind of come home to for caregivers. And so in Building Wealthy, we wanted every moment, you know, every aspect from the website to, you know, the content to the way that our care coordinators interact with families. We want every single aspect to feel warm and empathetic and modern and easy. And, and, and to do that consistently and at scale across the country while families are coming to us with incredibly difficult situations, you know, was, was certainly difficult and required really thoughtful service design and also, I think, product design. And, and that's where Holding Co. has been just such a, such a strong partner for us on both those pieces. I want to point out, Lindsay, that you sell to employers. And if you could talk a bit about the role you see employers playing in the care system. Yeah, well, sure. And employers play this enormous role. Um, and it's been fascinating to watch our our employer partners and benefits leaders through the pandemic because benefits leader benefits leaders almost have this kind of uh, first respondent um, kind of frontline worker type position. You know, they hear that as employees go through incredibly difficult situations, they're coming to their manager and going to their HR and benefits team saying, I'm dealing with this. I need help. I need to figure out how I can still work. If I can still work, what what's available to me through the company or do I have to quit or take a leave of absence? And so benefits leaders are ending up, they're, they're doing the role that Wealthy helps with, which is helping families kind of navigate through these tricky situations. And so, um, you know, what we want to do is, is provide partnership to employers to allow companies to be able to help employees through these very difficult situations and provide them with the expertise to do so. But yeah, we're seeing employers, there's a lot of pressure to provide this really em- embracing, inclusive culture and also to allow people to make, you know, make sure people's healthcare needs are taken care of and that people feel challenged and accepted and to have an opportunity to grow and advance in their role. And it's a lot. Um, and so, um, you know, company, we, we do see companies have this kind of heightened responsibility to their employees to do right by their employees. And so 
providing benefits like Wealthy is kind of part of the solution set that a lot of companies are now exploring. And I love that just the tremendous growth that Wealthy has had, how you've actually brought employers into seeing like, this is, there's a strong business case here. This is about talent retention, like giving people the support they need to take care of their full lives helps their company succeed. And you've gone from, you know, starting out and doing that with a handful of companies to now a really robust roster of organizations you support. We have a really great client list. Um, So a a bunch of the big tech companies, but pharma, professional services, financial services companies. And what was, I think the reason why the wealthy story resonated is because benefits leaders themselves are sort of our perfect fit customer. Benefits leaders oftentimes are women in their 40s, sandwich generation. They have kids in the home. They have parents. They have in-laws. And so I can't tell you the number of times I've gone into meetings and benefits leaders have said, I need support and people on my team need support. And so that was really part of our story. And that was the other part of kind of our design, you know, our kind of approach and the way we started working with employers was just one-offs, you know, or pilots or trials. We said, you know, as you have employees who need support, you don't have to fully roll out wealthy for all employees, but we're here, we're standing by. And it was sort of our Trojan horse for getting into these large companies as they started to have one employee and then 10 employees. And these employees were, you know, incredibly grateful and even more sort of loyal and committed to the company for offering support with the, with these sensitive topics. Hmm. Wow. I'm curious. It's, it's very clear how, you know, design holding co like really helped there i say like accelerate a lot of what you're doing what role do you think design plays in sort of like the next step we designed wealthy to support families with the most complex of complex situations you know families do come to us with incredibly difficult complicated situations but many families come to us with fairly straightforward needs and so you know our solution to date has optimized for the complex of complex the most complex of complex and uh, and we knock it out of the park. But, um, you know, there are a whole bunch of ways we can help families more quickly, kind of more seamlessly and more, you know, in a more tech driven way. You know, I don't know if I don't know if you all can relate, but I I can't stand getting on the phone with anyone. And that's just my personality. You know, I was on the phone with T-Mobile for 35 minutes this weekend. It was painful. And, um, you know, and many of our families we support feel similarly. They are busy professionals. They want to get stuff done. They need support. They have questions. Um, but they don't necessarily want to talk on the phone to someone for a half hour and explain their story, while others really do. You know, so some families really do want to open up and share what they're going through. And so what we're working on with The Holding Co. in 2021, which I'm really excited about, is creating more dynamic experiences um, that are really customized and personalized for the kind of complexity of the situation and the preferences and needs of families. And some of those uh, some of those experiences will be very human-led, um, and some of the experiences will be more so tech-led. And that's where, where we're going with kind of product design and, and service design in the year to come. And I'll just add, like, as I said before, 
wealthy customers love wealthy. Like there are such high, it's such a high quality experience. So how do we retain that high quality experience, but let technology do a bit more of that work and do it in the right places as we scale. Let's bring tech to do it. There's care is full of chores. Care is full of grunt work. Like there's plenty of room here, you know, and then let's let humans do the love, the empathy, like the good stuff that we never want to go away. And let's maintain that right balance. Mm, that's great. I love that. Thank you both. This is a great conversation. And thank you, Lindsay, for sharing your story and everything you're working on. It's great. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. Listeners, to learn more about Lindsay's work, visit wealthy.com and make sure that's W-E-L-L-T-H-Y.com and we'll post the link. And now it's that time. Every week we share our weekly dose of good design, our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. I was cleaning the house the other day and I came across one of my favorite designs of all time. Uh, it's the Polaroid SX70 camera, which my Aunt Pam bought me for Christmas like 10 years ago at this point. This camera is beautiful. It's design classic. It was introduced in 1972 as the first portable instant film camera, and it has the classic automatically developing photos. So good. The SX-70 was designed to fit in a standard suit pocket. So it's sort of, when it's all folded up, it's this nice like rectilinear shape. It looks like it's made out of metal, but it's actually plastic and it's plated with a thin layer of metal. Uh, it's also clad in leather. So it just gets like nice, like warm feel. It's just like so nice to hold. Let's see, when it's in that folded state, it's extremely unassuming. In fact, you probably don't even know what it is, but there's these two like finger holds on the top. And when you pull on those, the camera pops open and into its use state. And I don't know, it's like a little like transformer, right? And it like comes to life and it's like a little character that's like ready to play with you and take photos, including the nice red button. And when you push it, you get that like mechanical sound of the little mechanism and shoots your photo out ready to be enjoyed. I love the design. I love how it collapses, opens. It's very satisfying. It's sophisticated. It's fun. It still works. It's a design classic. And I guess it's, what, 50 years old at this point. <laughs> but I still love taking it out every once in a while. Um, and my, my kids get a kick out of it. In 2008, a Dutch company called The Impossible Project started making instant film again for the SX-70 and other Polaroid cameras. That company, The Impossible Project, acquired the Polaroid brand and all the intellectual property in 2017. And now they are called, wait for it, Polaroid. So that's my weekly dose. Patrice, you're up. I was going to ask you if you found any film, but now I know yeah, you can yeah. get some. You can get it and it, it works It works pretty well. Um, so it's been fun to, uh, it's expensive, but you know, it's a, it's a cool hobby. It, you got to think differently about each picture than you do around your camera phone pics. But for the kids, it's just a blast. I have this notion to take my kids through the technological spectrum, you know, not just go straight <laughs> to like digital photos, but like take them through it. And even like audio, like show them like a cassette tape <laughs> and then like show them a CD. But this is my crazy Love parenting it. style. <laughs> Advanced for a three-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. So what's your weekly dose of good design? My weekly dose is this company called Authored Apparel. Uh, So one of the things I love about my role now is I just get to see and talk with so many innovators and entrepreneurs. And Authored Apparel is a very early stage, um, but they do a pretty awesome thing, which is make adaptive clothing look great. So the entrepreneur, Brenda Wilton, this wonderful woman, just kind of sought out to say like everything on the market is like moo-moos or elastic pants. And for those who don't know adaptive apparel, it's, it's clothing to help those who have mobility issues, often older individuals, people who need a caretaker, caregiver to help them put on things. And there, there is clothing for this space, but you know, it's pretty terrible. And she has built just a beautiful little collection of clothing that looks great with hidden zippers and buttons in the right places. And she spends a lot of attention on materials and you just get it. It's like somebody puts on this, you know, she has a little black polo dress, you know, you just feel good. He's like bringing dignity with such a delightful solution. Um, so I'm so inspired by Brenda and Authored Apparel and is excited to watch them and see what happens. That sounds amazing. Again, so much opportunity to make people's lives better and delight. Um, yeah, that sounds incredible. Thank you so much for being here, Patrice. This was a lot of fun. We got to do it again. Totally. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's our show. I want to again thank Patrice Martin and Lindsay Juris Rossner for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We'll post links to The Holding Co., Wealthy, and some of the other resources we discussed today on our episode page. Check out designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. And remember to check out our new training session, Diversity in Action. It's a multi-session training about building and maintaining diverse teams that create better design and business outcomes also talk about how to involve and give back to the community. There are two sessions. The winter session is February 26th and May 14th, and the spring session is April 2nd and June 18th. Participants will engage in breakout sessions, reflection, high energy conversations, and a set of self-led deeper learning exercises accompanied by resource sheets and conversations prompts. Participants will learn how to become curious leaders with resources and tools to take action, including digital artifacts we'll co-create in the sessions. Can't wait. It's going to be led by Diana Navarrete-Rakakis, our Director of Learning and Interpretation. So if you want to learn more, visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on events in the main menu. You can also find the latest from Design Museum on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook. And we have an epic weekly email newsletter as well. It gives you all the insights on what's coming up. You can sign up for that on our website. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amor Yates with production support from Ryan Flom. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks, and we'll talk to you next week.